Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight. Visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Three. Alex bent forward in his seat and slipped his finger into his shoe to scratch. Chastised himself for wearing his nice shoes on such a long trip, but for the sake of those around him, he kept them on his feet. He wondered if they were itching just to pass the time. The sun seemed to set too soon after takeoff. After all, what had he done today but sit inside this plane's brother, during the leg to Chicago? then peruse a golfing magazine while munching warmed-over pizza in the terminal. But he knew that the dress-up impulse and their regret at a wasted day were both learned behaviours, things that defined Alex Pike of the used car lot. This trip promised a chance to shed a few things. He gazed out the window and in the dark the lights on the plane's wing went blink, blink, blink. He pulled out the pipe box from under his seat and opened it to look again at the graceful wooden curl and bowl. He had tried smoking without catching the habit, but the idea of smoking from this instrument struck him as an attractive indulgence. Germans are good at that, he thought picturing all those grand beer stains they produced. Brushing his hand accidentally against the inside lid, he felt it move. After a minute's examination, he found that the underside of the box lid actually slid out to reveal a small compartment. It contained a rotting paper pouch, decades wasted, and with a faded label. Tobacco. It was a measure of tobacco. The largest word on the pouch, really the only word still legible, was Nurdhausen. Alex muttered the word to himself, trying it out. He risked a whiff of the tobacco, but it was rank and filthy. Just so much old black. Dust. That itch crept onto his foot again, and again he bent down to scratch. This time, sitting back up, he caught sight of a single eye peeking through the gap in the seats in front of him. The eye was small but steady, idly taking his measure. Alex accepted the gaze and returned it. Now the rest of the face hovered up. Over the seat back, a small boy, maybe eight, pale and freckled with home-cut hair. His head rolled loosely from side to side. The boy could not sleep, but was trying to quietly spar with boredom. He immediately struck Alex as thoughtful, accustomed to solitude. The boy had a plastic toy boat with a flat top and a squarish pilot cabin, a ferry. He placed it on the seat and kept staring at Alex 
as he moved it along imaginary waves and made a little noise. Broom, broom, broom. Alex smiled. The boy's mother, five feet of her at best, turned and saw. I'm sorry, is my son bothering you? Alex leaned in so the conversation could stay soft. Not at all. He was just showing me his helicopter. It's a ferry, said the boy, with urgent insistence. Alex gave his head a wide shake. Oh, no, I've seen a lot of these. I'm pretty sure it's a blimp. You just said it was a helicopter. It's both. It's a blimpocopter. I'm an adult. I know about these things. The boy thought about it, lifted the toy ferry up over his head as if to imagine it up there, then looked back at Alex and gave him a dismissive humph. It's a ferry, he repeated defiantly, and that was the last thing Alex heard before the boy slumped back down into his seat. That's a funny game, the mother said. He doesn't look like it, but he enjoyed it. Alex nodded in understanding. He seems very bright. How unusual of you to see that. He'll be so quiet. But then, well, like this one time, I took him to the eye doctor, and he spent an hour telling the doctor all about the planets, their moons, and their relative sizes. I didn't even know he knew that. The mother wrapped her head up in her delicate hands and gave her neck a wrench. With a breath, she relaxed a little. We're going to see his father. He's going to miss a week of school, but he already can do fourth grade math. After a couple of days in Germany, we'll all be going to France to watch the eclipse. Her son sounded a stern correction from his unseen seat. The total eclipse. The mother smiled that smile that comes from marveling that you have created something so strange. He's been talking about it for months. It's going to be the most watched one ever. Two minutes of darkness across England and most of Western Europe. They're selling tickets on ferries that will float in the English Channel. Now she checked to see if her son was tuned in to the conversation or not. Then, deciding it was safe, we try, his father and I, to figure out ways to feed him the things he seems interested in. I just hope he doesn't start getting into mountain climbing. In the phrase, his father, Alex sensed volumes of unspoken complexities. But he said nothing. He felt the strongest urge. Cut his kid, and anyone near him, some slack. The woman shook her head. I'm sorry, I should let you sleep. Alex took her offer and leaned back. Don't apologize. It's been relaxing to hear about... Your son is going to grow up to be fine. Trust me. She seemed willing to take this to heart, and had a warm expression as she turned back around, and Alex finally did feel some sleep coming, so much better to surrender to it than the itch. He had been dreaming about 
What, being squeezed into something? Hearing cries for help muffled by metal? Or had he been the one crying out? Had there been a horse? Suddenly he thought it very important to know if there had been a... And then it was gone. Carried away by the tide back into the deep. A woman was staring at him from across the aisle. She was middle-aged, but with a severe and grey face like a stone block resting on her shoulders. Her scrutiny made Alex uncomfortable. She muttered a strange word he did not recognize. Guessing she was attempting German with him, he replied, Excuse me? Sprechen Sie English? Her mouth wrinkled up into one side of her face like a fruit shriveled in the sun. Then she pulled her upper lip back up to her gums and rolled her bottom lip under her tongue twice. Though all these facial gymnastics, she didn't blink. At last she spoke. Forgive me, I thought I heard you speaking German a moment ago. I was asleep. I spoke only a little, what I picked up growing up. I was born in Germany, but raised American. The woman drew a large purse to her chest and rose. American, you have better accent than most Americans. And before he could puzzle out what she meant, she was plodding up the aisle. As she left, she tossed one final thought back. You should be careful what you say, even in your dreams. Thursday, August 5th, 1999 Munich announced itself as the Weltstadt mit Herz, the metropolis with heart. And, as Alex watched from his cab leaving Strauss Airport, the city seemed intent on proving its claim to him. Beyond a layer of industrial complexes and modern silver high-rises was the true city, and this heart of Munich brooked no dull colors. Here everything was gold and scarlet, distinguished coppers and deep blacks, even the centuries-faded bricks, as if in compensation, arranged themselves in dazzling forms. Through the window Alex could feel the cool, damp air, so alien compared to the dry desert. It felt thick, but rich with life, a thriving marsh of potential. It thrilled him to see the people gliding along in their utterly ordinary city routines. He tried to read their daily dreams and despairs, as if he could call them out, just like all those rich pigments in the buildings. The taxi driver was Turkish, but spoke German and English with only the slightest contextual hiccups. Your hotel, he announced. It is just adjacent to the Englischer Garten. You will go there tonight, and you will drink a Dunkel Fine Dark Bear. Alex, who had barely slept, thought ahead to the night, still nine hours hence, and could not imagine much revelry. The words 
fine, dark bear alone made him feel like a nap. A nap in this cool air seemed ideal, though. Surely there could be time. Thinking his silence meant hesitance, the cab driver offered more. Or perhaps you are seeking something which is faster. Good times, yes? Americans liking good times. They go to Schwabing. You can go there by foot, or you can call me. I know all the places. My name is Zeki. Alex took his card, but all of Zeki's patter came to him as if from a distance. Part of his brain thought only of physical desires, a shower, and some good coffee. But all the rest was considering the heart of Munich and racing. It was in that ring of gleaming tars back outside the heart that Alex found the offices of the Lohr Foundation. He was directed to wait in an office that was nearly bare, but growing seemingly less bare by the minute as workers and deliverymen brought in furniture and supplies. The view from the floor to ceiling windows was phenomenal. Do you know that here is the only place in Munich we can build so high? The voice from behind him was feminine and fluid. Alex turned and had to stop himself from physically stepping backwards. The woman was young, polished, and clearly possessed some authority, but it was something else that struck him. A strength behind her charm, a sign of a strong will, conveyed in the way she met him eye to eye. She carried herself with aristocratic poise, but her clothes were crisp and modern, and her hair had some natural body. Alex couldn't shake the habit of sizing any stranger up as a potential car customer. He decided that this was a woman who didn't have to take part in the busy world, but chose to. Unmarried, and not worried about it, she would be comfortable in her questions and opinions. She would want something well made, with a good reputation, probably a touch of luxury, but with power and fun at hand. Appreciating the irony, he decided she would be right at home in a good BMW Roadster. If she were buying a car, she wouldn't want chit-chat at first. She would have done some homework and would want that respected and acknowledged before things became too casual. Alex decided this was just as good an approach for this situation. So he gave her the opportunity to continue by simply smiling and asking, And why is that? She stood her ground and continued with a smile of her own. It is because anywhere else would block the view of the mountains. We know that if you could not see the Alps, Munich would not be Munich. A city that has lived eight hundred years knows itself. It is best when it is true to itself. She offered her hand. My name is Elisa Lohr. Charming, and she knows it, Alex thought to himself. Plus, her name's on the wall. He took the handshake. Alex Pike from America, where nothing is eight hundred years old. She took a chair and invited him to do the same. Pike, is it a German name? 
You have family here? Alex took the opposite chair and let himself relax. I have history here. I was adopted from an orphanage in East Germany, and somehow my mother managed to smuggle me to the West, and then all the way to America. I don't remember much of it. I was only five. Lisa seemed more than diplomatically thrilled. A story of adventure. I think you are being coy to say you do not remember it. At that age, all I remember caring about was that I was cold and hungry. Then you were wise, even at five. Being warm and fed is always more important than politics. May I say, Alex sensed an appropriate moment for flattery, that although I usually think of icebreaking as a very American activity, you take to it impeccably. I attended university in Boston. I have had much ice broken around me, Mr. Pike. Well then, forgive my correction, but this is the point where you can start calling me Alex. Welcome to Munich then, Alex. As I said, my name is Elise Lohr. The Lohr Foundation is the creation of my great-uncle Philibert. I'll be taking you to meet him later. A charitable organization? Philanthropic is more accurate. Uncle has been very fortunate in life, and has found ways to repay that fortune for decades. But he has recently decided to leave the world of business entirely, and focus on this. He has transferred some personal assets into the Foundation's possession. This includes artworks which it is my job to catalogue and verify for auction, and it includes these two automobiles which interest you. Would you like to see them? I most certainly would. The day had warmed up, and Alex took a fresh look at the Alps as a car whisked them to a nearby warehouse. They chatted along the way. Elisa was formidable in conversation. Curious and surprisingly penetrating. Inside the warehouse, Alex decided that she had understated the scale of things to an astonishing degree. He guessed this was a small museum's worth of treasures, paintings and sculptures and antiques dating back centuries, marvels of every style and school. The focus was obviously German. Many other cultures were represented. Alex remarked on this. Great-uncle Philibert has very broad tastes. He is Bavarian, Elisa grinned. No one loves the variety of life like a real Bavarian. Walk around Munich and you see Greek hair, Renaissance there, and Gothic, Baroque and Rococo, all in the same neighborhood. Americans may say they take the best of all and make it their own. But Bavaria does it better. You'll raise a fortune off of this. It's a fortune already, but converting it to currency will be trickier than it seems. Art in Germany is a very sensitive subject, and we must work hard to establish legitimacy of acquisition. 
because of the war, Alex knew that it wasn't necessary to specify which war. Yes, it is a crass perspective, perhaps, but an art collector wants to keep his investment, not buy it, and then see it repatriated out from under him. Scanning the tags and papers around many of the paintings they passed, Alex found a word that sparked his memory. Nordhausen. What? For once, Elisa seemed out of her conversational stride. It's on a lot of these records. It's a town, isn't it? Elisa stopped a moment. It is the town where I grew up, but it is known for the other things. Things not for a light conversation. And here are the automobiles. They rounded a corner and saw large shapes resting under thin fabric. The covers were customized to the curves of the vehicles under them, and at this moment the prior conversation was forgotten and Alex's anticipation took over. He couldn't help but think that even under the covers the shape of them was sexy. He approached and picked up a corner of the fabric, then turned to Elisa. It's okay? Quite okay. He slid the fabric aside, and here was the kind of beauty he truly had the experience to appreciate. But for its windshield and seats, the Z1 looked like a single splendid curve from one bumper to the other, like an airplane wing waiting to slice the wind. He saw the distinctive doors that did not swing outward or upward, but simply slid down into the side sill out of sight. And, most importantly of all, the promised fun yellow exterior, the color a child might scribble the sun. Miss Lore, do you count this among the artwork? Alex hoped. Cal Garacti back in Arizona would not hoard these unique beauties, but truly appreciate them. Alex, you know that you can call me Elisa now. They returned to the high-rise and to a far grander office, the personal lair of Philibert Lore. They were brought a tray of salted radishes and a mixture of beer and lemonade to cool the afternoon. Alex took pleasure in seeing Elisa drink it, no shyness at all. Eventually the door opened and a tall man, in a muted dark suit, pushed in a wheelchair, in which sat Philibert himself, although Philibert had to be near or just past ninety. The chair attendant seemed like a barely necessary concession. Philibert had a formidable energy that began in his eyes, and Alex felt himself straighten as he entered. At first Philibert paid Alex no mind, putting one arm around Elisa instead, as she embraced him and kissed his cheek. She chattered at a faster pace than Alex could translate, and he chose not to try, instead continuing his appraisal of the office. You wonder what the old man does, Philibert spoke to Alex at last. You are accustomed to categorizing people quickly. 
He gave a half-smile. That was not meant to intimidate, but exerted willpower unconsciously, like the exhalation of a giant. Alex's identity as a successful small businessman felt drastically redefined in Philibert's aura. Philibert took control of the silence. I am afraid there are no simple answers here. I have lived a long life. So, the possessions you see around you are the fruits of many labors. And though it is obvious I do not have such a long time left, I am still in no humor to simplify my life for anyone's judgments. I think of myself as representing the old value of conversation, and you must prove you want my story. Alex considered his reply, and decided that even great men can succumb to flattery. You have told me enough for now, he said with the smallest bow of the head. Though your grandniece, who I am convinced gives you more pride than any treasure in that warehouse. Philibert took the bait with easy delight. She is my better in every way except wily experience. And you are more right than you can realize, but I think this is not uncommon to you. Do you consider yourself a lucky man? Alex felt compelled to join in the game of being mysterious, so he gave a simple, I do. Lucky enough that you just... And Philibert's fingers waggled as if to demonstrate a tiny Alex, swept along by fate, happened to need these cars just as I am selling them. I don't think of myself as spiritual, but I have come to believe there are moments when life is telling you something. Philibert looked tickled. And let me guess, life is telling us Alex can make some money. Alex tried to keep his mouth straight and his eyes still, but if they had been playing poker, he would have just lost. It was Philibert's turf, though, and one way to be a good guest was to lose graciously. So he looked down, chuckled, and left it at that. I have not driven a car in ten years, Philibert revealed. But I do love them. I love them like horses. You will give my horses a good home? All I can promise is that a new owner's ego will not allow a speck of dust to live on them. Aha! Philibert cackled, pleased. If you can depend on nothing else, depend on the pride of man. Very good. Elisa and Alex had already roughed out the dollar requirements of the transfer, but this meeting was about something very human. Philibert, tightened though he was, had simply needed to see the man who would be taking responsibility for these dare things of his. It was a reminder that he had their things which can produce a pang at the least expected moments. Many people had lived through that very pang on his lot before handing over their keys, 
It didn't quite reduce Philibert Lore to their level, but it relaxed Alex's concern that he might not know how to talk with the man. Alex had foreseen the value of conversation piece, and so he found an excuse to produce the pipe his uncle had given him. Philibert held it gently and smiled. An excellent piece of work. You will make me a promise, Mr. Pike. I am returning to my home in Zurich tonight, when you and my brilliant niece have concluded your negotiations and arrangements. You will come visit me, and we will smoke from this together. Alex saw the opportunity to bring the good first impressions portion in for a perfect landing, so he held the pipe aloft, and for the first time since landing, switched to German, and projected his maximum professional charm. Wir werden es tun. Und ich hoffe, dass der Anlass ist für den Erfolg mit du feiern. All he expressed was a hope to be smoking the pipe in celebration of success, but Alex felt Philibert chill. Elisa, too, coughed awkwardly, and the room seemed to darken. Philibert shifted in his chair, then picked up a napkin and dusted his hands with it cleared his throat, and spoke with care. Mr. Pike, I am old, and you are young, and American, and do not know better, and so perhaps I overreact. But you must not so casually use that word, do. In this English we speak, the word you suffices for everyone, but in German... When someone changes from a C to a do, it is important. Neighbors might live sixty years next to one another and never graduate beyond calling each other C. On some occasions you can even be fined for it when you call someone do. What is behind the word is, you are part of my family and I would die for you. Alex felt burning embarrassment, and did his best to salvage the moment. I apologize, Mr. Lord, I only ever spoke German with my family. Philibert gave a simple and accepting bow of the head, but Alex's breach of over-familiarity had ironically whipsawed the mood back to strict formality. Mr. Pike, I have stolen too many hours from your enjoyment of this great city. I simply must insist that we conclude our business for the day now. It took more than one dunkel at the Englisher Garten for Alex to leave that mistake behind. He ate and drank alone, ignoring the cheer around him. He had not, in his estimation, damaged the deal. He could count on the common nature of professionals to keep things on track, but it made him feel sloppy and overconfident. The rush of discovery, this sense in Munich of connection to something, the week's wave of compounding successes he had ridden halfway around the world, these things had made him heady and careless. 
Around 7.30, he judged it a good time to call back to Mesa, where it was just mid-morning, and report to Cal Geracti about the first meeting with the Lors. He felt an urge to report his own gaff, nagged him like a clanging bell in his brain. But he held it back and simply said that the next step would take place on Monday and that he would do as much preparation in the interim as weekend office hours allowed. As he described the sight and feel of the cars, Alex could hear Cal's grin through the phone. After, he sat alone in his hotel room, with his jet lag and frustrations. But suddenly the phone rang. Confused, Alex answered. Hello? Alex, it's Elisa. Good evening. I wanted to give you my assurance that everything today went very well, and that Uncle is still determined that you join him as a guest at his home in Zurich. Do you know what it means when an American says he thinks he stepped in something? I can imagine, Alex, but truly, if you will allow the word play, we understand misunderstandings when they happen. Then you are both gracious professionals, and I thank you. You're most welcome. Now, Uncle would very much like to have his celebration tomorrow, which means that I am under strict instructions tonight to hash out the final broad details with you, while simultaneously making sure that you are enjoying Munich. It is a tall task, but one I believe we can accomplish together. Alex was a plain sucker for talk of a night on the town with a woman. Philibert and Elisa had probably figured that one out right away, which meant a couple of things. One, they were very good at their business. And two, Alex was going to end up spending a great deal more of Cal Garacti's money than he thought. He felt his negotiating steel melting away. Is your uncle matchmaking us? In a way, Mr. Pike, the reversion to Mr. was playfully perfectly timed. My cab driver told me that, as an American, I would want to visit Schwabing. Schwabing? Alex heard the rich bemusement in her voice. Of course you do! Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight, visit Amazon or any online bookstore.